book of Job chapter 1. And tonight uh, we'll be back in Philemon. We have a special occasion tonight on Father's Day. Brother Hurst, would you stand up, sir? We are going to honor Brother Elwood Hurst with an honorary doctorate this evening. And uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, many years faithfully served there in Guam, and we appreciate his service. The church continues on today. Job chapter 1. I am certain that I have preached this message at Tabernacle, but uh, I don't know that we always need to preach a new message. Sometimes we need to preach the same thing to kind of make certain that we get exactly what the Lord's saying. And uh, how many of you, how many of you ever told your children something more than once? How many of you ladies ever told your husband something more than once? How many times did it still fail? <laughs> this, this, and this. Um, I think when you look in the Bible, if you look in the Bible and you're really trying to find an exemplary father in the Bible, I think there are natural places to go. Abraham... Abraham is a man that God chose to father a nation, his chosen people. And in Genesis 18, the Bible says that God says, I know Abraham, that he will command his children in the way of the Lord. He knew that Abraham would follow his directions. And so he chose him to be the father of a nation, not just a family, but a nation. And then when you find in the New Testament, you find Joseph and Mary. And Mary is found to be with child of the Holy Ghost, not of Joseph. Yet God, God knew that Joseph would be Mary's partner in raising Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Joseph was a just man. And the mark about Joseph's life is this. Every single time that God told him to do something... He did it. He didn't debate it. He didn't question. He moved to Egypt. He moved back from Egypt to another location in Israel, not even his original home. And every time, every time God spoke to Joseph, he moved, he acted. Job is said to be the oldest book in the Bible. And I think that the book of Job does give us a picture of a very, a very, influential father, a father that really should be emulated. Now, I mentioned this morning about the word fatherless. You know the word fatherless 43 times, I think, in the Bible, but the word father occurs 1,675 times. Now, probably because God the Father. I'm glad that we have a heavenly father. All right. But then when you look at the word mother, the mother is only there 329 times. Now, that doesn't mean that fathers are more important than mothers. But I will say this, the first time you find the word father is in Genesis 2.24, and a man is leaving his father and mother, going to cleave into his wife. He's leaving an environment that helps to shape who he is. And certainly Job, Job is viewed by God in verses 1, 2, and 3. So if you really want to look at, at Job's life the way God looks at Job, not, not the way others looked at him, the way God looked at him. Look what the Bible says about Job. In verse number 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, 
and one that feared God and eschewed evil. The very first thing that God notes about Job is his character. It notes his character. God notes Job's character. He notes his character before he ever notes his substance in verse 3. Look, his substance also was, and then God tells you about his substance. But God puts the character far above substance. I think we've done exactly the opposite in America. In America, it's more important about how much money you have and how much ability you have to buy things and what you can provide for yourself and your family. And character, character just kind of just drifts on down the list. But I'm telling you right now, not in God's eyes. In God's eyes, your character is more important than your income. In God's eyes. Your character is more important than the amount of money you make that you have to spend in this world. And God notes about Job particularly first that he's perfect. Now, that just means truly furnished. It doesn't mean that he is without flaw. He's fitted. He's perfect. He's fitted for the task. And then it says about him, it says that he's also upright. You think about upright, upright, upright. A pillar is upright. A pole is upright. An upright man is a man that's just and honest, and he's somebody that you can hang something on. I, you know, isn't it a blessing to be around people that keep their word, and you know when you talk to them, you know they're going to come through that. Isn't that a blessing to be around folks like that? Well, it's Job. Job, it also says he feared God. You see that in your Bible? What does fearing God mean? What does that mean? I've heard so many definitions of people give, uh, try to give the word fearing God. I, I think I can honestly say that, that I feared my dad. I did. I feared that. Dad was about 6'3", and he grew up a sharecropper's home, and, and he was strong and bigger than I was. I mean, when, you, when you're three years old, Daddy was a giant. When you get older, he still was bigger. I knew he was smarter than I was. I knew he had more money than I had. There were so many things about Dad that were so much far superior to me. And I think when we think of the idea of fearing God, I didn't fear my dad as if I was trembling and behind the door and I was afraid when he would come home. I, but I, I understood that he had, he had abilities that went far beyond mine. You know what I think we ought to understand? We have a God who has words that are far above ours. He has power that is far beyond ours. There ought to be a respect for the God that we have in heaven. And I think that's what's being said. That's one reason I think I preach today, I look around today, people have dressed nicely today and come in. I appreciate that. That tells me if you came to meet with God and not just to meet with your dad, that you must have some respect toward God. All right? To respect God, to fear Him. And then look, it says, and he eschewed evil. To eschew evil means that it's detested. To eschew evil. I, I know you've heard me talk about Okra, but I, I also I don't I don't really care for English peas either. How many of you like English peas? Anybody like English peas? I don't really care for English peas. They really give me a hard time when I look at them, you know, because when I was a child, I, I, I don't remember Disney World. I, I, I don't remember anything about Disney World. My brother and I, dad took us there when we were young, except one thing. We were in a big room waiting on a ride, doing something, and the, the carpet was very colorful. It had all kind of designs in it, and I was standing next to an older lady, and she threw up right there, right beside me. And I'm also a sympathetic puker. 
and, and I, I'm not exaggerating, I, I can still remember seeing little bitty undigested green English peas on the floor. I'm getting a little sick thinking about it right now. And you know, like a good mother, my mother tried to get us to eat all the vegetables they're good for you, and she would always say something like this, you're going to eat one spoon. But she didn't mean a, a teaspoon or a tablespoon, she meant a serving spoon. And I can still remember my brother at the table, my mother scooped a, 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 a spoon of English peas on his plate, mine as well, of course that's going to stay there till the end. And, and my dad got frustrated and he said, now, eat your peas. <laughs> my brother put a spoon of those I'm glad he did it not me he put a spoon of those peas in his mouth and he started gagging right there because he probably saw the same little pea rolling on the floor that I saw down there and I can remember my dad saying Brit you stop and he's going mm. Brit you stop mm. and my brother threw up right there at the table little English peas I don't think we ever had to eat them again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care for them because of what it evokes in my memory. Do you know that God, God appreciates people that abhor evil? You know the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, it says of Jesus himself, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says about us as far as believers that one of the things we're to do is abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. How many of you think the Bible is good? How many of you think the church is good? How many of you think that Jesus is good? Those are things that we're to cling to, but then the Bible says to abhor that which is evil, which it just, and I'm going to preach a message on it soon. It blows my mind that men can stand in a pulpit and act as if social drinking is okay when they know what it has done to countless thousands of people and wrecked homes and wrecked lives. For a moment of pleasure, it's all right. I say we should abhor that which is evil. And the Bible is clear that Job has that kind of character. If you told a filthy joke in front of him, he wouldn't laugh. He wouldn't laugh. He was a man that eschewed evil. It, it was something he detested, wanted away from. And God looks at Job's character before he ever looks at his substance. Now, he did have substance. Look at verse 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. I think if I did my math right, that's 11,000 head of animals. I believe it was Brother Porter told me the other night that a, that a, a full-grown cow or, or bull or calf or whatever we eat that is, may bring as much as $3,000. Is that right? Well, when I start doing the math on 11,000 head and $3,000, it sounds like he had a whole lot of money. Didn't, doesn't it sound like you? I mean, I can't imagine... I can't imagine having 3,000 camels. I mean, a camel's what you ride on, right? Not what you smoke. It's what you ride on. I, I have one car. Now that my daughter's moved out, we have two cars in our driveway. How'd you like to have 3,000 cars in your driveway? That's a lot, isn't it? 
So his substance is great. It's not wrong to have things. And I, I think I need to say that it is not wrong to have things. It is wrong for things to have you. It is not wrong to make money. We make money in the United States. God has blessed our country. Boy, somebody ought to say amen right there. We have people right now in Mexico on a missions trip, and it is nothing like the United States of America. We have people in Ghana on a missions trip, and it is nothing like the United States of America. I'm telling you, we have been blessed in America. But we're not to have the love of money. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. So Job had a balance. He understood it was just a tool. It was just a tool. Look at verse number 2, though. God sees Job and he sees a man of character and he sees a man of substance, but he sees him as a father. Do you see that in verse 2? And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. God, God views Job as a father. His character is important, his substance is great, but he also views him as a father. That is a view from heaven. That is not a view from the earth. I'm certain that people knew that he had sons and daughters. I'm telling you that God, God is looking down. And as he writes the words about Job and his character and his great substance, he pins in there, he's also a father. Because that's important to God. The father that Job is is something I think that is reflected in verses 4 and 5. Because in verses 4 and 5, you see Job as a father, not as a minister and not as a businessman. You see him as a father. Look in verses 4 and 5. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat <coughs> and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting was gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually... We're told what Job does continually as a father, not as a businessman. We're told what Job does continually as a father, not what he's doing necessarily as a man that fears God and eschews evil. God, God highlights his life as a father. Boy, I'm going to say again today, I thank God that I had a godly father in my life. A man that took that responsibility seriously. I appreciate that God gave me a dad that had the view of his family as something important. And Job certainly does. Now listen, God shows Job as a father. And look what the Bible says. Now it's amazing to me. What he must have taught his children. Look what the Bible says. Verse 4, and his sons went and feasted in, can you say the next two words for me? What does it say in your Bible? Let's try it again. Job 1, 4, and his sons went, there's seven of them, and feasted in their what? They all had houses. I've been told today that it has become fashionable for, for children to live at home on up into their 30s. It costs a lot of money to have a house today, doesn't it? Contrary to popular belief, a political party cannot give you a house. Doesn't work that way. The bank's going to want to know what you have in a, a way of wages and what kind of credit you have. And, and if you have enough credit, 
then they'll, they'll, they'll take and they'll lend you enough money to go buy you a house unless you can pay cash for it. And if you can pay cash for a house, I think you're doing real good. And he's got seven boys that all own their houses. How many of you think that they must have learned how to work? <laughs> they must have learned how to work. Oh, my goodness. We, we live in a generation. Of, I, listen, we live in a generation today that wants a paycheck but doesn't want the job. You know that's true. I, I have felt so, I, I felt sorry. We went into a restaurant, my mother and my son, I believe it was my son and myself, and there was only one person for the entire restaurant to wait on every table there. How many of you get upset when your food gets cold? When you don't get what you ordered? When your drink's empty? There's one man, and I stopped and I said, are you the only server here today? He said, yeah, the other's called in today. We want to check, but we want to do work. These boys must have had, they must have known how to work. Maybe he taught them how to build. Uh, he definitely, maybe he taught them how to trade in, in cattle and camels and oxen and sheep. But they all have their own house and they have it and it's theirs. But look what they're doing in that house. And his sons went and, can you say the next word? Let's try it again. Verse 4, and his sons went and, boy, come on now, you're not helping me this morning. You're going to make me preach a long time this way. His sons went and what? Feasted. Does feasting sound to you like bologna sandwiches? I'm not against bologna sandwiches. Does it sound like spam? Does it sound like deviled ham and crackers? Does it sound like sardines, cheese, and mustard? When I hear the word feasting, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about all that oxen he's got up there. Somebody must have taken one of them and put it out there and said, we're going to have a little filet here and some picanha if you're from Brazil. or We're going to have some, some ribeye and we're going to have some New York shrimp. When I read the word feasting, I'm thinking they are eating a good meal and a lot of it. How many of you know that it costs a lot of money to do that? <laughs> That's why people go to McDonald's. It's cheap, but it'll kill you. Right. Actually, I, I've never been able to get out of my head. I heard a man say one time, he said, you keep going to McDonald's, you're going to see those golden arches a whole lot sooner than you expected. <laughs> Can't get that out of my mind. Yeah, food's cheap. They're feasting. These, these people right here, they, they have worked. They have learned how to work. They have some amount of wealth because they're all homeowners. Then look what else it says. The, the Bible says they feasted in their houses. Everyone on his day and sit and call for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. I'm, I'm amazed at that. They all did it, everyone on his day. There's seven sons. Does that mean you got Monday? You got Tuesday? How many of you think if you feasted on Monday every day of the year, it would get expensive? How many of you think you'd get frustrated with people showing up at your house on Monday every time? And yet the Bible says, whatever that day is, that not only they did it on everyone his day, they took their turn, but they also invited their sisters. They wanted everybody together. You know what that tells me? You know what that, you, that tells me that the sisters weren't invited to do the cooking. They must have had the, the food prepared themselves. And if that's true, then they must have had somebody inside there preparing the food. Y'all just looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. 
They're feasting in their houses, everyone on his day, and they're saying, hey, sis, y'all come and come over here. We want to eat together. They, they must have had a level of wealth that they earned. It didn't come from stimulus checks. They earned it. They, they worked hard at it. And then they were, they were unified. Come on, how, how many of you have less than two siblings? There's, in other words, there was only three Two or one of you in the house. How many of you that way? Three, two, or one. Okay. All right. I'm just going to If you just raise your hand, how many of you never fought with your brothers and sisters? Did you raise your hand? How many of you think if you doubled what you had in your house from three to six, there would be the likelihood of a whole lot more fighting? In fact, I'm not going to ask you how many of you fight with your brothers and sisters now. As grown-ups, you know what's sad? There's some brothers and sisters that won't talk to each other. Come on now. They're not going to go out to eat together. They don't want anything to do with each other. And yet, they're, they're eating together on a regular basis. So somehow they, they learned how to get along. I think that was one of my mom's desires for my brother and I. She just wanted us to get along. She said that to us on more than one occasion. She would say, boys, would y'all please stop fighting and just get along? Right. Dad didn't quite say it that way. Dad would just... Dad didn't make threats either. He would just make a statement. Y'all don't quit. This is going to happen. So we learned to fight at a distance way away from the house. <laughs> I'm just saying, those, those seven brothers, three sisters, they got along. Dad, dad and mom must have showed them how to do that. Would you say amen to that? That did not just happen because they lived in the land of us. That happened because somebody showed them how to be able to give and to take and to have respect mutually. They, they had to learn how to get along. They had to learn how to take and give and take. And I, when I look at that, I'm, I'm amazed at these children and what's been produced. But I think the biggest thing is in verse number five. Would you look at verse five? Verse five, there's three things that Job does for his children. Look at it. And it was so... When the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Listen, in verse number five, a, a father that could look and see seven sons that have worked hard enough to have their own house, perhaps servants that can prepare a meal, to have an, to have an attitude that they can get along with their siblings and they want to enjoy time together. He could probably sit back and say, man, I have made it. My, look, look, look the kids that God has given us. But he didn't say that. He says in verse number five, it may be that my sons have sinned. Can, can I say this? Would you agree with me? Godly kids can sin. Good kids can sin. Your kids can sin. Now, this will be really hard to swallow. Your grandchildren can sin. I can see a grandma right now saying, not mine. Not mine. You know, I, 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 this happens. I know it ha it's happened in the school. I, I've been told it's happened in the school. You know, something goes on and a parent is called up and the first thing they say, my child would never do that. 
Come on. Really? You think that you raised a child that would never do that? You, what we, un, we don't understand is that this skin that we have, this Adamic nature, we think that we have somehow taken and, and, and gotten it under control. I'm telling you, the only control for this skin, this nature that we have, is to put it off and to put on the new man. That's it. You can build the high fences and you can put all the, all the different levers in place, but this flesh, there is no good thing in it. Got to have something on the inside that's bigger than what's on the outside. Job said, it may be, it may be that my sons have sinned. And look what he says, look at it, and curse God. Do you see that in your Bible? That it may be that my children not just have sinned, oh, maybe one of them, maybe he said a curse word, or oh, maybe one of them took something he shouldn't have taken. Ah, oh, you know, m maybe one of them, maybe they didn't go and they didn't worship. Like, no, 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 no. It's far, far deeper than that. It may be that they have sinned and cursed God in their heart. I don't want what you have, God. I don't want you. I don't need you. Job is saying they, they may have turned their heart from God, and I can't, I can't let that happen. So he does three things. Look what he does. Number one, he sins in verse 5. What did he send? I, I really don't know that I have an answer for you. Maybe he sent a sacrifice to them on that day. Maybe he finds out this, this son is on this day, and he sends a sacrifice there to remind them, hey, make sure that you're clean before God. You're in fellowship with each other. Are you listening? But you need to be in fellowship with God. Maybe he sent them a messenger. We see definitely in the book of Job that one of the servants comes and brings a message and another comes and brings a message. Maybe he sent them a messenger to remind them. Hey, make certain that you give God his due. You know, I, I believe if, if God has your heart, tithing is not an issue. Could you say amen to that? I, we, we don't sit down and try to give to the last penny. Just giving to God is something that we're, we're appreciative of because he's given so much to us. Maybe he sent a messenger. I don't know. Whatever he did, whether it was a message, whether it was a messenger, whether it was a sacrifice, he is trying to prompt them. And then the Bible goes, look what else it says. He sent and then he sanctified them. He sanctified them. He set them apart. Do we have any one of our little children that has been dedicated to the Lord here recently? Is anybody here with one of those children? Do we have one of those in the auditorium today? Nobody here today? We don't have one today. Would one of you parents stand up that have had one of your children dedicated to the Lord? Do we have anybody here like that? Your child's here. Is there anybody like that? You got a child here? So you got one of your so who, who do we dedicate, Will? Andrew. Is he in here today? All right, um, so, so let's just hold up Hannah Grace. He sent and sanctified them. Turn that around, there you go. To sanctify something is to set it apart. You set it apart from something to something. In other words, it's set apart from the world, that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, but it's set apart unto God. It's kind of like the story of the man that cleaned his house and the, in the spirit went out of that house, but it was garnished and swept, but it was empty on the inside. It's not enough to have somebody that lives a life that's clean. They need to have the love of God also in their heart. So in other words, he sent and he sanctified them. 
He's not just saying, guys, you need to stay away from evil, but you need to stay in love with God. So if Will and Stephanie were to sanctify Hannah Grace, what they're saying is, Lord, we want you to put your hand on her heart, and we want her to live for you regardless of her vocation and the substance that she has. He's doing that on a regular basis. I, I really, thank, thank, thank you. I really don't believe that a lot of people think that way. I think people think if I can keep my children from drinking, if I can keep them from having a child before they marry, if I can keep them out of drugs, and if I can keep them out of jail, it's all right. Hey, I'm telling you right now, that is not good enough. Come on, that is not good enough. We, we ought to want to raise our children that God could put his hand on them and just like Psalm 127 says, pick them up and just like arrows in the hand of a mighty man that he can use their life. Well, I never drank, never did drink. Great! But they ought to do something for God. Come on, how many of you think serving God's a whole lot better than serving Uncle Sam in the world? Absolutely. So Job is sanctifying them. He's trying to put into their heart and mind, live for God, love God. Don't just stay away from that which is evil. So many times I think we're guilty of that. We talk about what the Bible says we should not do, but do we talk enough about the God that we ought to give our heart to? So he sanctified, he sent, he sanctified, and then look what else he did. He rose up early. <laughs> How many of, I'm, I, I got to ask this question. I was thinking about this when I was getting ready to preach. How many of you like to get up early? Oh, wait, let's define early. Early to me would be when the sun's coming up. That, that's, that's fairly early, all right? So maybe five-ish, something like that somewhere. Around. How many of you like to get up early? Okay. How, how many of you do not like to get up early? The people that just raised, listen, those that I ask you if you like to get up early that raise your hand, let me show you how most people raise their hand. When I ask how many of you don't like to get up early, there's the way people raise their hand. <laughs> I won't get up early. I won't hear the alarm clock. I will sleep in. Look what Job does. First, look at the cost that he, the Bible says he rose up early in the morning and he offered he offered burnt offerings. A burnt offering had to be prepared. A burnt offering was something he did not get anything out of. He would have gotten no value out of that. He got up early. He prepared this sacrifice. Look what else it says. He burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So how many would that be? Help me out. How many would that be total? How many? Ten. He gets up early in the morning. He prepares ten sacrifices. He takes those sacrifices and he offers them for his children because it may be they've cursed God in their heart. And look what the Bible says at the end of verse 5. Thus did Job continually. Not one time. Come on, how many of you? <laughs> I was looking back at some pictures. And uh, Father's Day I was looking saw a lot of pictures of my children when they were younger. And 
I, I sent a few of them to them, and, but one of them I didn't send. My, my son Daniel is with one of our men in the church, and we had chickens. We had, we had, we had all kind of chickens. We, we raised chickens for a while, had eggs, and did all that kind of stuff. And, and Daniel, Daniel is out there with this man, and they've got these chickens um, laid over this little board, and, 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 Dan, and, and Daniel's got this axe in his hand, and the man's holding the chicken. Now, I didn't take a second picture. I don't know who got hit, the man or the chicken. But I do know this, that was just one chicken. We, we had times when we took care of a lot of chickens. How many of you have ever cleaned a chicken from living to what goes in the pot? Anybody ever done that? Do you know they have a lot of feathers? I, you know, people, it's fun, people, today, people today think that Walmart makes milk. Walmart does not make milk. Milk comes from a cow, and it takes somebody to extra extract that milk. It has to be pasteurized, homogenized. It's all those. It's got to be done. All these things. Milk and chick chickens do not, <laughs> chickens do not come wrapped up, empty and clean and whole, ready for you to put in the fridge. It doesn't work that way. And I, listen, I think the most the most we ever took and got butchered and got ready was about seven, and it took a long time that day. Ten. Ten that he's never going to get back again. Ten that he gets nothing from. Ten that he has to work at, and he is putting time and effort into it. And in my mind, if you look at it again, look at verse, at the end of verse 5, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. I, I don't think he's thinking about, this is, gonna, this is costing me so much I mean, th these, these are animals I could have sold. I, I don't think he's saying, I hate getting up this early. I can't stand being up this early. I don't think he's saying, this is such a nasty job. I wish somebody, I, in my mind, here's what he's saying. Oh, God, please be merciful to my children. Oh, God, please, please don't let the devil get a hold of their heart. Oh, I think he's in the morning. He's getting up. And in his heart is the welfare of his children. It is driving him to offer and driving him to labor and driving him to prepare. Hey, we have, are you lit? we have people today that think it's hard just to come to church. Come on, you know that's true. Coming to church is too hard. It's so hard to get there. This man got up and offered sacrifices that he would never get anything out of. And he did it for one reason, for the welfare of his children. I said, it's a good father. I said, it's a good father. And he didn't just do it once. Thus did Job continually. Sent, sanctified, offered. Sent, sanctified offered. You do know what happened, right? In this chapter, if you look at it, the Bible says in verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. God shows Job to Satan. Satan didn't want to look at Job, and he begins to touch his life, his substance, and he touches his children. 
But you know, in my heart and mind, you, you know what? If Job did what he did continually, and it says, and the Bible's very clear, look at it. It says in verse number 18, that while thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. So you know what that means? That means that there had been something sent. That means they had been sanctified. And that means there had been something offered up for them in the event they had sinned. So as horrible as that is, do you know what I believe? I believe that when that tragedy came, that Job in his heart knew, I took care of business for them this morning. I told them they ought to be connected to God. You know what I think? Listen, I can't imagine what it would be like to bury a child, to let alone to bury 10 children. I can't, I can't imagine it. I don't, know, I don't know how you would live with it. I don't, know how you would be able to, I don't know how you would be able to take it. But I do know this, because of Job's interest in being a good father, I think his children were covered. Come on, I think his children were covered. You know, there's a lot of things we can't do for our children. If I had the money... I would do a lot, a lot of things for my children. If I had the, the, the mental ability, if I had the connections, there's a lot of things that I would do. But, but there's one thing that we can do. We can point them to Jesus Christ. And if they've got him down in their heart, whatever happens in their future, they'll be taken care of. And he was willing to sacrifice to get up early. He was willing to make that investment in their life, though he was a wealthy man and though he was definitely a godly man. God says, I want you to look down here at Job. I want you to look at him as a father. Job provided for his children. And he made a difference, and I think that's why this is recorded. So, I have a question for you this morning. I'm finished preaching. <coughs> Ken, you can come now. <clears throat> There's been many times in my life that I've stepped in a hallway or I've looked at a bed where one of my children is sleeping. I've prayed without them knowing. There's been other times that I've slipped next to them in the bed and prayed with them. And, but then there's other times that I've just prayed and just asked God to please help me to be the help I need to be to them. You heard all the statistics about those that are without a father. And men, today I'm going to tell you there is no way to put a real value on what you mean to your family. I really don't care what Hollywood says about the dad. I don't care what they say about a nuclear family. I don't care about them mocking men that care about the Lord and the Bible. But, but I'm going to invite you this morning. If Job could get up early, you think you could come down to an altar today and just say, God, please help me with my children. Please help me with my grandchildren. Please don't let the devil put his hand on them. You want to come down and talk to the Lord about that? God, please help me. Help me make that investment. The world will tell you, well, as long as they got what they need monetarily, they're, they're all right. Not Job. Ken, you can just go ahead and play. Well, I'm telling you, the devil tell you it won't make a difference. Granddaddy, the devil tell you it won't make a difference. You taking those little grandboys and that little granddaughter with you, and like my granddaddy used to do, my brother and I, pray with us at night and go fishing in the morning. Oh, my. He helped us.
If you'd stand to your feet, if you would, would you stand to your feet? Maybe if your, your daddy's down here praying or maybe if your husband's down here praying, it might be good just to come get around him and let him know you're behind him. Not an easy job. Not an easy job. Boy, if you got somebody that's trying to do right, I know flawed, Job had flaws. Maybe you'd come, you'd pray with them. Brother Aiken, why don't you sing a little bit of that right there if you would. <clears throat> Faith of our fathers living still In spite of dungeon, fire, and sword Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy Whenever we hear that glorious word Faith of our fathers, holy faith We will be true to thee till death Our fathers change still in heart and conscience free. Lord, grant their children strength and love like them to live and die for Thee. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to Thee. Faith of our fathers we will love Both friend and foe in all our strife And priestly too as love knows how By kindly words and virtuous life Faith of our fathers at the Bible, aren't you? You can't find better instruction at any bookstore. You can't find it, any better instruction from any writer, from any place, from the Ivy League schools. God's got the right answer. Well, happy Father's Day. I hope you get to go home, and I hope you get to eat well, and uh, I, hope you, uh, I hope you get to sleep well. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you back tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed. <clears throat>